Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Good morning. My name is Ed Nall. I'm one of the pastors here. As you know, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. I had a message prepared this weekend about the transfiguration of Christ in Mark chapter 9. I will do that message uh, perhaps next week. In light of the COVID-19 threat, it seemed good to me to teach this morning on fear and anxiety and God's solution for those things. So I've titled the message this morning, Do Not Fear, I Am With You. Do not fear is the most frequent command in Scripture, occurring over 300 times. By contrast, the command to love the Lord only occurs about 20 times in all of Scripture. That doesn't mean that the command to love the Lord is not important, but it must mean at least this, that fear is a significant challenge to God's people. And in the light of the COVID-19 pandemic, fear is a topic on many people's minds today. Now, nothing that I say today is meant to convey that we shouldn't be cautious when something like a coronavirus is active in our area, but there is a difference between prudence and fear. Now, God knows us. There is nothing that is hidden from Him, and because He knows us, He knows that our fears can tie us up in knots, can paralyze us so that we don't obey them, so that our boldness is compromised so that we worship, in fact, something that we value more than God himself. So what is fear? This is a definition I heard a couple of years ago, and I like it. Fear is prophecy without hope. Fear is prophecy without hope. Fear looks into the future, and without relying on the character or the promises of the Word of God, it becomes a false prophet. Fear says you won't get what you want, or you'll get what you want and then you'll lose it, or you'll get what you don't want. So fear is prophecy without hope. The fears in Northern Virginia are different than they were, say, 3,000 years ago or perhaps even 100 years ago when societies were much more agrarian than they are now. The predominant fears then were, say, children dying at a young age. It was quite common. Or the death of a breadwinner in the family. Or... There's not enough rain, so the crops don't come in. But in our culture, the fears that we face now or the things about which we are anxious or worried may go like this. Not having enough money. That's probably high on a lot of people's list. Fears for the safety of loved ones in an era of ISIS, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, or COVID-19. Fears about how we will die. Cancer, Alzheimer's, dying alone, being afraid of being forgotten after we're gone, fears about what we might lose, your money, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, your spouse, your youth, your good health, your purpose in life. Underneath most emotional pain is some kind of fear. And so God addresses it for us over 300 times. Seventeen of those occurrences are in the book of Isaiah alone. 
So let's look at two passages in Isaiah, chapters 41 and 43, and we'll discover together that God doesn't just issue commands like do not fear. He gives us foundations upon which we can build our trust in him. He gives us supporting logic for his commands. He gives us divine reasons why we should not be afraid. So let me read to you from Isaiah, the 41st book, 41st chapter, verses 8 through 13. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You who seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Here is divine logic. Apart from God, you can do nothing. With God, all things are possible. Apart from God, you can do nothing that is significant eternally or ultimately satisfying. But with God, those things are possible. Apart from God, you have every reason to fear. But with God, you have no reason to fear at all. That's why the most frequent phrase that is paired with the command, do not fear, is this. I will be with you. Do not fear. I will be with you. Isaiah in chapter 41 and in chapter 43, which we will look at in a few minutes, is pointing us to a foundation that God has provided. And God's foundation for us is not prophecy without hope. It's prophecy with hope. And that hope is not just a wish. It's a sure and certain hope for those who believe in him. Let me tell you a story about foundations. I have loved New York City ever since I went there as a child. I love the music, the jazz, the theater, the food. I even like the attitude of the folks there. Almost everything about New York I love, and I love their buildings. When we're on vacation, we go there most every year. My wife, Heidi, likes to sleep in, and I like to get up early, find a good diner, usually a Greek one, and then I walk around the city and take pictures of buildings that interests me. I'm also quite an expert sidewalk superintendent. I love to watch buildings go up. The whole process has always fascinated me. But if you look at an aerial photo of Manhattan, you will see certain sections of the island have very tall buildings and others do not. Why? It's because of what lies underneath the ground. There are five kinds of bedrock in Manhattan, granite a material well-suited to strong foundations. And the strongest is called Manhattan schist. It's a type of rock. And the strength of the foundation that goes into that rock is what allows builders to put up 
40 and 50 and 60 and 100 story buildings. So I want us to vividly see this morning the foundation of God's command, do not fear, in this passage. What are the reasons that God gives us that we need not fear? What foundation does God place under us to support lives of courage and no fear? There are many in this passage. First in verse 8, Abraham is called God's friend. Since Christ is the Messiah who comes from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those of us who have faith in Jesus and live on this side of the cross, we are God's friends, so we need not fear. And then in verse 9, it says, God has chosen us and called us. These words are an echo or echoed in Ephesians 1. And the Apostle Paul says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So do not fear. And then in verse 10, Isaiah gives us five reasons not to fear. Five reasons to be of good courage. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. These are five bedrock promises upon which you can build your life. And so one of my goals for you today is that when life comes at you hard, and it will, and you are tempted to worry or to be fearful or anxious, that you will remember this place in the Bible, Isaiah 41.10, where God promises to strengthen you and help you. And you will call God's promises in Isaiah 41.10 to mind. So let's unpack them for just a minute. Five foundational promises from Isaiah 41, verse 10. First, fear not. Why? I am with you. This is a simple promise. Life will be hard. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But if God is with you, God is like a, a guide in a foreign, dangerous country who not only shows you the way to where you're going, but he protects you as you go, and he ensures that you get to your final destination. Second promise, be not dismayed. Why? I am your God. We follow, if we have faith in Jesus, the one true God. Our God has authority, all authority and power. He's not a man-made God. If you look back at verses 5 through 7 of Isaiah 41, we didn't read those, but if you look back there, you'll see the response of godless people to their fears. They make idols for themselves. They make statues. They make things out of silver and wood. And then when times get tough, they nail them down so that they won't fall over. That's what it says. It seems silly, doesn't it, to worship a God who can fall over? but don't you and I do the same thing? I think we do. Let's say our predominant fear is not having enough money. What do we do? Well, we plan ways to get more money. Or we're not really generous with the money that we have because we're trusting in our money and not in God. In essence, we're nailing down our idol so it doesn't fall over. Third promise, I will strengthen you. God does not just promise that he is strong. He promises to strengthen us. In Psalm 119.28, the psalmist is in distress. He says, my soul melts away for sorrow. 
Strengthen me according to your word. The sorrow for you might be fear, anxiety, some kind of depression, but the answer is this, strengthening from God's word. A fourth promise, I will help you. I will help you. There is an epidemic of self-salvation in the world today. More and more people seem to be convinced that they have no need of God. King David knew, and he was the richest man in the world up until that point, he knew that he needed help. So he said in Psalm 70, this is the richest man in the world, I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. And then fifth, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Even people who believe in Jesus and are relying on him for their salvation from sin often live as though they were relying entirely on themselves. My friend Paul Tripp calls that functional atheism. We say that we believe one thing, but we live as though we believe nothing. If you want to find a strong foundation, you will find it in Jesus Christ, who has become our righteousness. The Scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So we need not fear. We have His righteousness. Four important words in these verses. I am, I will. When God says, I am with you, I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you, then what is it or who is it that we should fear? Verses 11 through 13 paint a picture of God's power being unleashed for those who believe in him. Verse 11, those who are against you will be put to shame. Verse 12, you will look for those who are against you. You will not find them. What a great promise from God. Why? How is this true? Because God says he will help you. God says he will help you. If Ed says he will help you, I may help, I may try to help, I may not be able to help. But if God says he can help you, he will help you. Chief among these great promises is, I will be with you. Here's how this works, at least on a human scale. My wife Heidi and I went to Jerusalem a few years ago to, at Thanksgiving we went to visit our friends Jamie and Donna Winship, who were missionaries in Jerusalem at that time. We flew into Tel Aviv. The reason the airport's in Tel Aviv is because it's on the Mediterranean and you can fly in there without other countries shooting down your plane. But we get into Tel Aviv, and as soon as we're on the ground, we begin to hear reports of rockets that are being fired from Gaza into Jerusalem. There are troops everywhere. They're standing on the street corners, thousands of them, with automatic weapons. All the reserves have been called up, and off in the distance from the holy city, you can see clouds of smoke where bombs are being dropped as Israel retaliates. So we're sitting in Jamie and Donna's house. Jamie says, you want to go to the West Bank tomorrow? And I'm like, what? <laughs> the West Bank? And he says, yeah, you want to go? I said, sure, I'll go. Now, if I were in Israel by myself, 
I would not go to the West Bank. But since I'm there with Jamie, I go. Now, why? Because Jamie is with me. Because I know I'll be fine because Jamie is with me. Now, on a much larger scale, let's look at our second passage, Isaiah 43. One of my favorite hymns, How Firm a Foundation, is largely based on this chapter of Scripture, beginning in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah here gives us still more foundational depth, more bedrock on which the command, do not fear, rests. So I want to take a quick tour through this passage to observe more of the foundational supports that enable us to be bold for Christ. In verse 1, Isaiah gives us four important truths about God and his relationship with his people. He created us, he's redeemed us, he calls us by name, and we belong to him. First, he created us. This speaks of God's power his ability to help us. If he created the world simply by speaking it into existence, if he created the world out of nothing, which he did, then he certainly has the power to help us, does he not? Secondly, he has redeemed us. We were slaves to sin. That's what the scripture says. God has purchased us out of that slavery by paying our ransom through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're like a person who has an incredible amount of debt from which they can never climb out. And then someone comes, perhaps a friend, and pays the debt on our behalf, and we're free. That's what God does. He gives us our lives back. Thirdly, he calls us by name. We're like an adopted child whose parents give that child their name and the rights that go with it and the inheritance that will come to that child. He calls us by name. And fourthly, we belong to him. We are his people. We've been adopted by God, given his name. The Lord is our shepherd. Do not fear. Verses 2 and 3 taken together speak of God saving his people by exercising his power on their behalf. For example, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery and they had their backs against the Red Sea, they had no army and the greatest army in the world at that time was approaching. They were afraid. They should have been. There was no realistic way to escape. What did God do for his people? He parted the waters for them, and they walked over on dry land. He saved them. Why does God do this for them? 
And why does he do it for us? Well, we don't always know exactly why. But in this case, in Isaiah 43, verse 4, he tells us why. Because you are precious to God. Because you are honored. And because he loves you. God's love for his people is a perfect love that casts out fear. And it's not without passion. Theologians used to say that God's love is dispassionate, but I don't think so. God loves you. You are precious to him. He honors you by giving you his name. God does not save us grudgingly, but willingly, if we will place our trust in him. He loves us so much that like the children of Israel with their backs to the Red Sea and no realistic hope of being saved, God takes sinners who have no realistic hope of everlasting life and gives us salvation, not through our good works, but through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. You are precious to God if you have placed your trust in him, and you are loved by God passionately. So here in these four little verses of Isaiah 43, we see eight things as a foundation upon which we can build our lives without fear or anxiety. God created us. He has redeemed us. He calls us by name. We belong to him. He has delivered us, paid the ransom price. He calls us precious, and he tells us that he loves us. Therefore, if all these things were true, fear not, for I am with you. Did you get a bad diagnosis this week? Fear not. God is with you. Did you lose your job? You're not sure where the next one will come from. Fear not. God is with you. Are you depressed, worried, anxious, or afraid because of COVID-19? Fear not. God is with you. Verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 43 speak of God's gracious response to Judah's sinful disobedience. Isaiah is telling the people of Judah, who are largely blind and deaf to the truth, that God is still arranging history to bring a blessing to his people. The people believe that the promises of God to Abraham are no longer true. Their nation is in decline. They will be overtaken by foreign powers. But here's what God says to them through Isaiah in response to their fear. Remember, there are conquered and divided people who are being scattered. And this is what God promises to do. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. These are tremendous promises given to a disobedient people. Much like God's promises to us given not because we deserve them, but because God is gracious, patient, loving, and because he upholds us with the righteousness of Jesus the Christ. Now, for our time this morning, we're going to look at two measures of God's love for us, two measures of the intensity of God's commitment to us that will, if we know and understand them, Take them into our hearts. Enable us to live with boldness, courage instead of fear, 
instead of timidity. I'm going to call them super foundations. The first is God's commitment to his glory, and the second is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this first point, God's commitment to his glory, I'm going to go John Piper on you for just a couple of minutes. When God says in Isaiah 43:7, whom I created for my glory, it may sound a little strange to modern ears. We would ordinarily think of someone whose aim is their own glory as being arrogant. But for God, the God of the universe, glorifying himself is right. It is essential, in fact, that he do so. Why? Because wrapped up in God's glory, included in his glory, is the joy of his people for eternity. Here's how Piper expressed it in a sermon he gave at Wheaton College about 40 years ago. It's a sermon that changed my life. What could God give us to enjoy that would show him to be most loving? There's only one answer, really. It's himself. If God would give us the best, the most satisfying thing, that is, if he would love us perfectly, he must offer us no less than himself for our contemplation and fellowship, end quote. There isn't anything more valuable, more glorious that God could give us than himself, and so he does in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who according to Hebrews is the exact representation of God's being. His absolute, perfectly righteous, undefeatable commitment to pursue his glory above all else is the guarantee, the super foundation that supports all the foundations that we have seen for our lives in Isaiah 41. And 43, God is completely committed to his glory. And if you believe in him, your salvation from sin, God's care for you all of your life, and your assurance of eternal life with him are part and parcel of his glory. So that's one super foundation, God's glory. And then we're going to look at the other, and then we're going to close. And this is the gospel foundation of our lives in Romans 8, 31 through 39. Romans 8 is my favorite chapter in my favorite book in my favorite book. And I'm going to comment as we go briefly, verse by verse, as Paul works his way logically through these ideas. And then we'll summarize and close in prayer. Verse 31b, if God is for us, who can be against us? The simple answer is no one. But how do we know this? Paul answers the question in the next verse, verse 32. We know this because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things to us? Working from the greater to the lesser, since God gave us his son, won't he also give us what we need for daily life? But we sometimes think, I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't deserve that kind of love. So Paul answers, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. There is no longer any record of the charges against you. The debt has been canceled. It's been nailed to the cross. God has declared us righteous in Christ if we have placed our trust in him. But we will still say often in our humanity, I feel condemned by my sin. So Paul answers, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul answers us with the gospel. No one can any longer condemn you because a perfect sacrifice has been made for you by Jesus Christ and accepted by God the Father. Christ died for our sin, was raised from the dead, is at God's right hand. And what does he do there? He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. So have no fear. And now, Paul will address our fears in verses 35 to 39. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists our fears. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and Paul's going to acknowledge something important here. As it is written, God's people are not immune to suffering. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But I love Paul's answer. He says, no. No. In all these things, even our sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are precious, honored, and God loves you. We will suffer in the midst of our trials, but God is with us, and God has justified us through Jesus Christ. And then Paul has one last thought for us about our fears as he wraps up chapter 8. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to hurt us, discourage us, bankrupt us, kill us. No, trials will come, but there's something more important than trials. Nothing else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us. So let's look back over the last 30 minutes and remember what God has said. We looked at 14 verses in Isaiah 41 and 43, and here's what God says to those who have faith in him. I created you. I called you and chose you. I have redeemed you. I've called you my friend. I have adopted you into my family. I have promised to be with you, to be your God. I have promised to strengthen you, to help you, and to uphold you. I have promised to bring your enemies and your fears to nothing. You are precious to me. I have honored you with my name, and I have loved you with a love from which you can never be separated. You don't need to prophesy or look into the future without hope. I am your hope. And since I am for you, no one can be against you. Do not fear. I am with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have so many reasons not to be afraid. And yet, in our weakness, we often are. And so, Lord, we ask for your help, that you would forgive us for the times when we doubt you, for the times when we are not as bold as we should be, and that you would grant us forgiveness, and that you would enable us by your grace to be strengthened by you, to trust in the promises that we have heard about this morning, to trust in you.
And Lord, as we face uh, the unknown here over these next weeks or months, give us grace to trust in you. And not only to trust in you for ourselves, but to minister to others around us, to encourage each other daily, as long as it is called today, with the gospel and with a word of hope and a word of encouragement. And Lord, enable this church, as your church, to reach out into the community and help with the needs that we see. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified through COVID-19 and through the actions of this church and through your word and through your precious Son, Jesus Christ. May you be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.